Welcome to Critical Hit, a major spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out last time, Kevin. On Critical Hit. On Critical Hit. On Critical Hit. Brian and Rob. All right, Brian and Rodrigo. Oh, man. Wow. I was not expecting that one. You guys still got me. All right. So, last time. On Critical Hit. Critical Hit. Critical Hit. You all narrowly escaped a vortex of crimson glyph chains that lashed out of various technological devices uh, and consumed Zem, the witch warper who had portrayed betrayed her own uh, drifters team, though it didn't seemingly work out that well for her. Uh, you were in Castaways, a pirate bar uh, that was here a minute ago. Um, but it has been consumed by a hungry scarlet void, leaving behind only a few stray pieces of furniture that haven't been destroyed. Uh, after a moment behind the uh, the vacuum blast door, uh, you realize that there is a small portal uh, just behind the lot of you guys, and uh, it winks out of existence and basically as soon as you notice it, uh, but not before a single bottle rolls out of it. Um, anyone uh, trained in it can make a mysticism check real quick. I'm Rodrigo. <laughs> um, hang on. First, you roll 20. Uh, actually, roll mysticism. 20 is uh, actually helping to make uh, this episode of Drifters happen. Go check them out. Roll20.net. Uh, 23. And... Uh, Matthew, is uh, Quentin trained in mysticism? No, but Matthew accidentally hit a button thinking that uh, okay, I see something was going on in roll 20. So. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, Hecubino's 23 successfully identifies that as the spell Reality Leap, um, a spell that Witch Warpers can cast, though usually they jump through the portal uh, that the spell makes. Uh, so you quickly determine Zem must have cast it Right before she was pulled into whatever that was. Oh, so you guys all stand in the corridor outside what used to be Castaways. Um, yeah. Now I'll go look at the bottle. Cool. So you pick up the bottle. It's um, quite strange. It looks old. Just a glass bottle about the size of a wine bottle. Um, which itself is kind of unusual because everything uses fancier materials and designs nowadays. Uh, so the, the simple, the label is a simple adhesive just stuck on there with no cool led displays or anything like that. Um, but it is covered in some unusual symbols. Uh, they have like, they feature strong lines and angles, but basically no curves or circles. Uh, and the symbols look quite complex, yet also precisely drawn, likely by hand. Anyone who wants to can make a culture check to attempt to decipher them, though um, deciphering writing like this might take a little while, and you'll probably need to connect to the diaspora local infosphere uh, to check your work in any case. Also, for what it's worth, while that is happening, you are still standing outside of like a, a decimated bar. Um, the, the damage does seem to be contained to just castaways, 
but that bar was built into an asteroid and it slightly collapsed. Um, so you guys can see that there's still red light uh, from possibly those chains. It's the same kind of light flickering through the rubble, uh, causing it to smolder with smoke dissipating in every uh, direction. Hey, hey uh, we should we should move before someone uh, blames us for this. Uh, agreed. Yeah, but it wasn't our fault. Yeah, yeah but that's funny kind of, how that works out. It really wasn't our fault that that uh, facility uh, blew up the last time either. So, so yeah, that um, Sala connects you over the local comms and asks, uh, "Do you always leave a smoldering crater behind wherever you go?" Generally speaking, yes. Occasionally, it's a crater filled with liquid. Well, let me know if you need a pickup. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, please. I'll be there as soon as I can. So what do you guys do? Try to maybe like look if there's some place that's like a little bit less out of the, like, obviously we're standing in front of a smoldering ruin that we can wait for the pickup. Yeah, we kind of all, you know, try to run around in different directions. We run into each other. We all try to go through a, a doorway at the same time and yeah. get stuck. Yakety sacks, please. Yeah. Whoop, 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 whoop. I float casually. All right, sounds good. You guys can manage to avoid uh, some of the uh, locals' inquiries as to what just happened. And while you're doing so, you can uh, spend some of that time making those aforementioned uh, culture checks to decipher this writing. So, let's see. Amu, you had a 29? Yep. Yeah, that's going to be the best. So, fortunately, it looks like Vangi and Quentin and... Oh, really? Just Fangy and Quentin um, do basically assist. So uh, you guys can feel free to chime in with how you assist. But um, you have to look up what language this is and then go through glyph by glyph and try to, you know, not just understand what um, these symbols mean, but what how that's constructed into a, a logical sentence. Um, so the, the good news for Amu is you are quickly certain that the language here is infernal uh extra planner language uh that is uh, filled with very sharp sounding uh words and a lot of precise meanings that can be shaded into a million different uh contexts and it's a language that's easily misinterpreted and misunderstood Except by truly native speakers, of which you've heard only devils really count. Anyway, uh, with uh, with some help deciphering some of the the runes, uh, the bottle label says, "I'm sorry." Uh, that takes up a, a surprisingly long number of symbols to say, and should be basically impossible to write in Infernal. <laughs> yeah, the the. the how it's used here is a variation of the I should have been a triple agent verb conjugation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I assume Vangi's help is like basically just understanding that infernal is like often used in really, really shady contracts. And it's like, yeah, uh, you know, I had to like double check on some of that stuff for when you're a performer because sometimes they throw in little infernal stuff. Mm hmm. Quentin will access local databases and see if there's any information. Then there's another message right after that, which is uh, a little bit easier to express. Um, let my regrets 
prevent similar mistakes. And then after that, there's a code. Uh, Infernal is great for passing along codes, uh, but it seems to be just an infosphere address, username, and password. I hope it's not admin and one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> password one, two, three, four. Access granted. Well, I uh, smashed my own data pad to prevent uh, tentacles to come coming out of it. So, the code on my briefcase. <laughs> does this look like it is a code to access whatever's in this bottle, or does it look like a code to access something else? Bottle, you are convinced the bottle is an actual physical cork. Mm, okay. Um. Oh, and by the way, the bottle has within it a highly viscous, like, red-black fluid. Ooh. Um, so, uh, and it's, you know, reasonably full of that. Um, the, Does it look like blood? No. At least not uh, Vesk blood. It doesn't not, not look like blood. Hecubino, rub it and make a wish. Are we able to identify it? Uh, by what mechanisms do you try to identify it? Mass spectroscopy. <laughs> yeah, you're currently uh, hunkering down in an alley waiting for your pirate friend to pick you up. And you're looking through, an op- not a completely opaque, but uh, not, you know, a colored glass bottle um, trying to assess the liquid purely by viscosity. So you'd have some penalties unless you open it for instance, but that's taking an action. We don't want to do that just yet. I would say we can still compare it to known substances, uh, you know, check the actual viscosity via just tilting it back and forth. Uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit that we can do to figure some things out. Uh, if there's any lumps in it, a physical sciences check. Yeah. And then, uh, Bob, you had a question for me. What was it? Oh, d- uh, the, the username and password. Does it look like it's something that we would know what it's for? Well, why don't you make a computer's check? I will make a computer's check. Because you'll also be assessing the Infosphere address. Okay. Yep. twenty um, twenty five for the computers. Yeah. So this is part of uh, the dark Infosphere. Um, you can't even access it from the diaspora local because the diaspora local just like clones certain things. Um, and there are certainly some, uh, dark sphere, um, uh, connections available in the diaspora, but not this specific one. Hmm. So we're going to have to wait until we get uh, back into the space lanes and get back on the info sphere. And then we can check this out a little bit more. That's right. And based off of the address, username, and password, you're guessing that this is like a highly encrypted one-time use type deal. You'll be able to log into it once, and then it will likely... You, you've you've heard of these things before. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll delete or run some program on first access. Yeah. 192.168.1.666. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Seems like she was trying to make up for things. Uh, and then for your physical chi- science check there, Amu, um, you're you're very good at this, but you happen to be a little perplexed at this liquid in uh, in particular. 
you would say it bears most similarity to um, what are called hybrid magic items, but this would be like a hybrid potion. You think that this is some sort of semi-magical, semi-technological liquid. Um, You can tell based off of some properties of its flow that it has either nanites or some sort of ferromagnetic thing going on with it. Uh, But um, then it occurs to you to start to, to like why it would have to be in this type of container and stuff like that. And you think that, and you could easily get, um, say, Hecubino to, to check this for you, but you think there might be magical properties. Ooh. Hecubino, you can detect magic, correct? Uh, yeah. We think this might have some magic about it. Uh, yeah, go ahead and make a mysticism check. Well, that's my second botch of the night. So, a uh, 13. <laughs> All right. Um, unfortunately, uh, you're fairly convinced this is no more magical than a uh, bottle of wine. Yeah, Hecubino is definitely sorting this out. Like, he's thinking and he's not paying attention to anybody else. So, like, Amu hands him the bottle and, like, Hecubino looks at it, like, shakes it and is like, eh, I don't know, hands it back. Okay, we'll put it away for now. Okay, cool. So, um, after a couple minutes, not that long, actually, uh, she's pretty fast, uh, of uh, wandering around uh, this particular asteroid, trying not to be caught by what uh, seemed to be the authorities, which is probably just a gang of local pirates. Um, Amsala comes and picks you up in her ship. One of the convenient things about uh, being on an asteroid is there's a lot of, like, how, how the diaspora is set up. There's lots of these little uh, docking ports and like air ducts and things like that where you, not air ducts, um, airlocks where they you can easily board a ship so she doesn't have to check in with anyone they this seems to be a low uh bureaucracy low uh rules area thinking we might have gotten what we actually needed from that but it's I'm just how are we a bit to decipher how are we doing with parts i know that we spent some cash getting parts well i i had hoped that maybe your associate there would be able to provide you some funds for parts, but um, evidently not. Yeah. Apparently, she was working with some really serious people. Or not people. Almost assuredly not people. I can dock you back with your shuttle if you wish, and you can make your way from there. Yeah, that's fine. Well, I will always put in a word for a team of good-natured drifters. But um, I don't know what more I can do to help. No, I think you you helped us plenty. Th- thank you. You look after Rain. She's a, she tries. She tries. Okay, but um, you know she. I think she's addicted to something. Oh, I'm quite confident she is. But there's nothing you can do about that. Oh, take care of yourselves first. If you can, her. Yes, definitely. We will watch out for ourselves and then uh, assist Rain wherever we can. Yeah. I'll be around for however long you're in the diaspora. Thanks. I don't suppose you speak devil. You mean um, infernal? No. 
I find it has little use around here. Most people in the diaspora are not so legalistic. Well, probably for the best. All right. Well, thank you. Of course. And she will dock you with your shuttle. All right. Uh, get back in and I guess we're going to, where to? Heading back to the uh, the Android base? Chainbreaker 1. Chainbreaker 1. So where are we on parts? Because we, we bought some parts. Is that, do we still need more parts? You do. Okay. So you have labor secured from Chainbreaker 1 from the Android Abolitionist Front specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you did need more parts, uh, which you were on the hunt for credits for. And that was what you were going to go talk to Amsala about, and hence her contact with Zem. Mm, Zim didn't have an insurance policy that we can cash in or anything. Yeah, right. (laughs) Who can say? Mutual of Asmodeus. Look out, Jim. That one looks dangerous. (laughs) Ah! Well, yeah, then I guess head back to Chainbreaker 1 for now and see if they can start working on what we got and if they have any leads on, I don't know, work we can do or something to get the rest of the money. All right. Or unless um, Sala knows, uh, you know, before we get totally out of range, if if she may know of anywhere else that might uh, might help us out. One uh, thing you guys, uh, why don't you guys all give me a quick wisdom check? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just quick wisdom. Better or worse? I got a five. <laughs> oh, my highest wisdom character in the party rolling a nat 20. That's oh, uh, going to be hard to beat. Yeah. In fact, it's not possible to beat it. All right. Heck, you being out. Something occurs to you. It probably also occurs to Quentin and Skritic, but it occurs to you in a moment of pure clarity. You don't need Infernal. You just need a dark Infosphere connection, which you'd be shocked if you couldn't find somewhere in the diaspora that could connect to this. Like, maybe your ship can't right from where you are, but, like, someone's got to have some sort of access. Uh, yeah, I will kind of snap out of it and just be like, um, we just need to find someone with a dark infosphere connection. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure anyone the androids here. have that, considering what yeah. they are up to. Yeah. And if they don't, I'm sure they know somebody who does. Yeah. All right. I will pilot to our last known coordinates and uh, send out a signal to Zoe that uh, we're ready to be picked up. All right. So you guys go through the standard embarkment, disembarkment procedure. Um, They are cutting down the time it takes for you guys, which is great because you're pretty confident it's an unnecessary amount of time. Um, And uh, they dock you back at Chainbreaker 1. So... Uh, Zoe is there. She seems to not sleep very much. Um, and she greets you. Hello, Zoe. Welcome back. We had a few troubles um, on our on our outing. We've got some parts, but n- not all. And um, we ran, ran into an ins- a situation where, I don't know, do you have a connection to the dark web somewhere around here? Dark sphere is useful sometimes for relaying our message oh. and instructions in an encrypted fashion, but I suppose you've already 
agreed to help us, so why not give you some more help? Yes. Okay, great. Um, where, where do we need to go for that? You want a terminal? I think that would be best. All right, I'll show you the way. And she guides you to, uh, uh, you know, a, a terminal in... <laughs> there's actually a terminal just off the side of the lunchroom. Oh, nice. So, uh, she kind of sits you down, Bob, and shows you how to access it and types in some of her uh, login credentials. And then she just patiently waits right over your shoulder. Um, hmm. Uh, I look at Hecubino like, hey, you want to let her see what we're doing? She does a hair flip, by the way, but her hair is fiber optic cable that changes color. So it's weird. Yeah. I'll, I'll look at her and be like, Hey, uh, underground gorilla person, you think you can keep a secret? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, no, nah, it's fine, Bob. All right. There's anything. Uh... 168.1.666. Enter. <laughs> Nothing vital on this console, is there? All right. Um, so, uh, did, when did you... you did you hear what Brian said, Kevin? No, I did not. What was that? <laughs> I was just asking her if there's anything vital on this console. <laughs> Since we don't know what may happen here. Uh, she just kind of shrugs and seems to be excited to uh, to see what happens. <laughs> well, hopefully it's dramatic enough. Yeah, I hit, I hit the enter button after typing in the address and kind of flinch a little bit just in case another portal opens up and sucks us all in. All right. Um. So immediately when you go to that site, it triggers a bunch of override programs uh, that were built basically to hack anyone who came here. Um, but you do have the correct username and password. Um, and uh, it seems to quickly assess, like it, it takes over the, the terminal entirely, pops up a bunch of different screens and uh, runs whatever diagnostics the terminal seems to be capable of running as though it's, like hacked your local station and is like accessing cameras, accessing biosensors, things like that. Um, from what you can tell when it pops up these little uh, screens, uh, it has granted you um, access to uh, Zem's, albeit like modest, uh, fortune as she, this is her last will and testament. And uh, it has also revealed the um, ingredients and what what uh, the bottle holds. It is a uh, reality transfer potion. Um, and according to all of the uh, details within, it seems to be able to, um, when you drink it, basically shift uh the, the the mechanism is relatively complex because it's all witch warper magic uh shift a different version of reality into place in which uh you did not do the last thing you did um and it seems to be designed in particular towards um agreements or contracts or technical violations or laws, anything like that. Hmm. Wow. That is useful. Omega-13 and a bottle. Got it. 
how how much money is in her last will? And was there any like note or anything? Just money and ingredients for this? Just money in this. Huh. It might occur to I don't even know who it would occur to. <laughs> it's hard it's hard to say, but there's no ingredients. No one. We're all idiots. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, if it occurs to you naturally, it occurs to you naturally. But in any case, uh, there are no instructions other than her money and uh, this thing, which uh, you can also consider what the bottle says. Um, and uh, the amount of money is coincidentally about, you know, if you make it stretch, if you use Amsala as a contact, if you if you you know, go and, and hustle, you think it's enough to buy the parts to fix the ship. Ooh, nice. Can you tell me what the bottle said again? The bottle says, I'm sorry, let my regrets prevent similar mistakes. Well, that seems to solve your uh, your money problem, I suppose. Credits mm-hmm. are good. Most definitely. Uh, wow. Um, wow. I could uh, contact Imsala and have the parts transferred over here. Uh, that seems wise. We'll, we can uh, arrange for secure transfers. Oh, okay. I will open up a little side terminal and send a message out. All right. And and say, give me your account number and the password, and I will transfer this information, uh, this these credits to you immediately. Yeah, you don't need their password in order to transfer them. I, I mean... <laughs> They but might. I, I mean, if we you, might. If you open an account and put thirty thousand credits into it, then I will match it. And then sounds like a scam. Sounds like a. I mean, got to do whatever we can. I'm to an I'm sure an Aoxian being... prince. <laughs> <laughs> this was sent to you in error, but you can get a refund. My poor dead uncle has left me lots of money, and I need to get it out of a. Uh, Absalon Station as quickly as possible. We're this looking is where you for come secret in. shoppers to test the new brand of flamethrowers. <laughs> this deal only lasts for the next 20 minutes. This is a picture of me, and it's just like a picture of a sexy drow. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely what I look like. All right. So, um, yeah, you can contact uh, Amsala and get some of the parts rolling. There's like a whole little process you have to go through with Chainbreaker, but they can figure that out uh, in order to uh, to get what they need. They do it all the time. So that's fine. Zoe can assist. And then uh, you have this information, but apart from that, I think it's time to fix the ship, right? Fix yeah. the ship. Fix Ooh. the ship. Fix the fix ship. The ship. Even right. Rocky had a montage. Oh, sorry. So it is time for a montage. You have access to a shuttle, uh, which can get you around uh, the diaspora. And so you can you can go different places if you want to. You can talk to different people if you want to. The squeaky clean is being repaired. You guys have parts. You guys have labor. You paid enough credits for everything to, that you need. So what do you guys do while that is happening? But before you answer, first, I'm going to say that Zoe will pull aside Bob and Quentin because she's very interested in talking politics and philosophy, Android politics and philosophy. So how do you guys handle that? Have fun, Bob. Not nod politely. 
Glenton will engage her in a rousing uh, discussion of Robo Pilates. <laughs> Pilates. Pilates. Robo Pilates, yes. Uh, Robo Pilates. You know. Exactly. Um, when, uh, when you say not politely, Bob, give no, me I a said nod. I said nod, nod politely. politely. I just oh, listen oh, and, and nod. Yes. God, he's yeah. going to do that thing that, you know, when, you're, when your grandma starts talking Facebook politics at, at Thanksgiving. You know, well, she nod. is very animated and she seems to care a lot and she's trying to convince you guys to care a lot. Um, and she makes some decent points, but she's also kind of a fanatic. Uh, right. So I, I will say to her, you make some very fascinating po- points. These are things that I'm going to have to to think about. You've really opened my mind to points of view that I have not been exposed to. <laughs> nice. So after that, I will turn it over to you guys. Who wants to go first? Well, what's something you do uh, while the ship is being fixed as part of like you? You have some time in the diaspora. Uh, Quentin is going to seek out uh, games of chance and pool and try and hustle people for money. To make sure that we have enough funds. All right. Uh, so, um, you uh, go to some of the local pirate bars because that's definitely going to be the best place um, to uh, to do this. And you find uh, that there's a uh, a local uh, shark um, that runs the joint. Um, a literal shark. <laughs> no, he's not a he's not an uplifted shark. He's a um he's actually a quarlu, just like Spago, the same species as Spago, but total he he himself is obviously a totally different person. Um his name is Felson and uh he's the uh the guy here. He is the best at the this complicated uh game that involves um kind of like pool you hit a ball and it goes in in a million different directions but there's unnecessary like pinball style bouncers and lights that flash um and uh he's the the main hustler of this joint and so you have to take him on i will do that uh what style do you take do you try to like you know win the crowd over or are you just good at the game uh well clearly the first couple of uh matches or rounds uh, I'll have to learn the game, certainly. Seem to learn the game, perhaps even, you know, build up his confidence. Maybe play to the crowd a little bit, but very subtly. Uh, basically, the fresh-faced new kid in town, or the, you know, the fresh-faced silver sphere in town approach. It's just been applied today. Exactly. I, uh, Freshly polished. Born yesterday. Just got off a bus from Iowa. Or just got off a rocket tram from Akaton. It's hard to say. Quentin. So, Quentin, yes. pool shark, the best in the diaspora, who will soon learn that trying to be the best at anything carries its own special risks in our very own Twilight Zone. Yes, but am I Isai Morales or am I Jack Klugman? Yeah, that's what you're going to have to figure out. I know, because the endings are different. Crap. Uh, so... After you uh, lose a couple of games of Domjot to Felsen, uh, you... Domjot um, to Felsen, by the way, is my favorite Coheed and Cambria album. Uh, why don't you give me a... Oh, I don't know. How about a culture check? 
You sure it's culture and maybe not sleight of hand or well, yeah, actually, lying? Sleight of, hand, sleight of hand is fine. I'll definitely allow sleight of hand. I could be lying. Uh, maybe it's a bluff. Could be a bluff. No. Not a bluff? <laughs> sleight of hand? You're not going to let me bluff? I mean, you can bluff all you want, but it doesn't affect how well you do at the game. Well, I am pretty awesome. How do you feel about a 23? 23 is pretty good. Let's see how Falcon the Quarlu does. Ah, he takes you for all you're worth. Um, you are left uh, wondering, you know, if you're a, a loser forever and if you're this is this is where your life story ends. That's how bad he makes you feel after he crushes your dreams in the final showdown. Um, it was a narrow thing, but unfortunately it's all or nothing in any game of Dom Jot. So uh, you lose a thousand credits. So the Isai Morales ending. I was hoping for a Klugman. Uh, do I have a thousand credits? Well, obviously not anymore. I mean, if you don't, then... Um, yeah, some people start pulling out some really nasty looking screwdrivers and drews, uh, drills. <laughs> How dare you? I got like nine credits left to my name, but yeah, you'll need someone to cover your butts. I'm hurtful. No, I mean, after I, I pay up, I literally, that's how much. Oh, I really? Pay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's brutal. I have I, I do, in all fairness, Matthew, just so you know, I rolled a 19. I'm mad at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm angry. Never going to forgive you. Although, Isai Morales is handsome, so you know. I looked cool while losing. Yeah, you're like a round floating Isai Morales. Exactly. So, uh, who's next? You know what? I think what Bob's going to do is he's going to try to be a, a deflection point for all of the all of the radical uh, androids on, on this uh, station. And so they can all come up and, and try to convince, and he's just kind of half listening. You know, he still makes it look really good that he's very interested in what everybody says. But, you know, if you were to go inside his head, you would probably hear uh, the girl from Ipanema playing the entire time. And so he's just he's just going to be that. He's just going to be people are going to, you know, they're going to come up to him and say, oh, man, you know, you need to get in with us. You know, they try to give him pamphlets and they're trying to talk him up about their their latest goals and their, you know, their overall desires and bob is nodding is like oh yes this is fascinating do you have some literature on this and bob will take it and pretend to read and and just kind of you know be be the the go-to person for everybody who wants to share their ideas so that they're not bothering everyone else bob why don't you give me a will saving throw a will saving throw i got a six yikes so what you just described you're a communist now Power to the people! <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so what you just, just described, unfortunately, is something they're very ready for. Um, you're like, I will put up a level one defense. And they're like, yeah, we know you're going to do that. Um, and then they start saying things that go to deep insecurities you've had your entire life. Yeah. Um, that's your contention. You're a first year grad student. You just finished some Marxist historian and you forgot about Vickers. Thanks, Matthew. Happy to be of service. So the problem is like, unless you literally go la la la, I'm putting my fingers in my ears. Some of the words start to like kind of worm around in your mind and they start to make sense. And it's not that these people are 
first of all, they're not advocate. Oh, well, they are kind of radicals. They're for sure radicals. But like the things that they're advocating for at the highest level are pretty like pretty reasonable slash they're arguing against things that are really awful, like Android indentured, which you personally have felt. Right. So, I, I agree with you. We should be getting rid of all debt. Cast off the debt. Well, and they make a good case that basically debt is a tool of the powerful uh, dynastic rich um, that never loses power. So like they, they, they're they they're well adept to uh, to kind of radicalizing a regular android because, you know, regular androids have it pretty rough off with their heads. Let's bring the system down. Right. So thank you for tanking them. But they have they you know, they have introduced a number of ideas into your into your head, Bob. Uh, so uh, while that's happening, um, you're definitely in Chainbreaker one. So you get to hear this, Bob. Uh, Grace is eager to assist all the repairs. And um, pretty quickly, she can talk again. Uh, which she seems to do a lot of all of a sudden, as though making up for lost time. Um, she has also developed a, a deep loathing of Gremlins, uh, the Sabotag Company, and Talos specifically. Oh, don't worry, Grace. We'll get back at all of them. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm not normally one that is vengeance motivated but um what they did was really messed up and i don't like it and they should not win that's right we gotta stick up for our own grace we're gonna tear this whole system down hmm i feel like i've missed some conversations with you bob but i'm eager to hear exactly what i've missed i upload a pamphlet um oh hey here's something else that happens uh brenson sirius and duthane uh send a little local uh, invite to you guys. Uh, any of you that wish to attend a drinking contest at a local dive bar on a nearby asteroid can attend. Does well, anybody wish to? What I was actually going to say that I wanted to do, which was just get in contact with them and be like, hey, we're stuck here for a while while repairs are done. Like, if you could show us around, tell us your favorite places, you know, be our local guides. They seem like the type. So I'm definitely down for the drinking contest and anything else that they want to show us. Nice. Is anyone else in for that? I think I'll tag along. I don't know if I'll participate, but I might find some other ways to find some profit. Cool. Give me a will save. (laughs) (laughs) Peer pressure. Peer pressure. You won't be Google. Uh, Where are there? 24. All right. You decide you can uh, drink responsibly. So... (laughs) You can choose whether or not to participate in their drinking contest. They do pressure you because it just seems to be, first of all, they like a couple like glasses of ale or mugs of ale to them does. They take it down like water easily. Um, So it's it's no big thing. Uh, But do you participate in the drinking contest? Not in the contest. I mean, I probably participate in some drinking just mainly as like a and are there socially. Okay. Yeah, sign of camaraderie. Well, you know, I'm watching inhibitions and uh, vision get blurry, and maybe see if there's some pockets I can lighten. Nice. Uh, is anyone else going, or is it Skritic and Vengi? 
Mm, yeah, Hickey would just kind of pass on it. Tag along. It's a cultural thing. Using a pool. Amu's going along? Yeah, we're we're here to learn about other cultures. All right. Um, so Amu is pretty easily talked into participating in a cultural activity, especially because, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but Amu has like no ranks in deception. <laughs> Amu gullible. So the the thing is, he doesn't have a face, but he he expresses himself so clearly with all of his um, coral reef parts that like he's actually fairly easy to read because you kind of need to make exaggerated movements in order to to make it clear what you're feeling, and you're not used to turning that off. Um, so Brenton, Sirius, and Duthane read you like a book, and they're like, "You you need to you should you should be in this drinking contest with us." It'd be great. It's a cultural experience. It's a unique dwarven, uh, specifically Star Citadel of Herod experience. You should totally join it. Yeah, Amu, drinking is the best way to make friends. That and fighting. Drinking and fighting. Oh no. You won't be cool if you don't do it. Amu has like no self-control on that front. For each of you, Vangi, Amu, and then Skritik, you get a little bit of a different thing. You get to tell me um, how this turns out for you. How well do you do? What do you do? It, do? What bad or interesting or funny thing happens to you? And Skritik, you're not participating in the contest, but you are the other one there, like looking after everybody, seeing everything that goes down. You're the one who will remember this night. So <laughs> uh, let's start with, let's start with Vangi. Uh, so Vangi is, you know, big and um has a decent fort save but is not a dwarf like doesn't have any special resistance to to alcohol the way these guys do so i assume they will drink her under the table despite fight her size difference and that she finds this to be great like she's a pretty happy and emotional drunk so i imagine at some point like she like they she does not win the drinking contest by any means but has a wonderful time and basically just gushes about how the fact that like she feels like their family and she's so happy that they met and that this has been like such a great experience and that she's so glad that they've watched the show and like you know sometime like they should i don't know come to Akaton except for not come to Akaton because Akaton sucks but like seriously come to Akaton and like I'll show you the ropes and like but just really anytime you need anything we're family now I love you I'm so happy that you got to see your grandkids you guys are the best fantastic all right that's 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 awesome they respond quite favorably to that as though it's not the first time they've had kind of interaction they also like that you remember their grandkids Oh yeah, absolutely. She says, like, send them pictures, send her pictures of their grandkids anytime. She wants to hear all about it. We're family. Like, you know, if I knew how to cook, I'd cook you dinner, but I don't know how to cook. I only know how to get rations out of my ship. All right. Amu, what happens to you? Amu is surprisingly hardy compared, especially compared to Vengi. Uh, Staying with the dwarves, drinking for quite a while. No dwarf, but so eventually Amu will start to uh, go down. But it uh, turns out spreading alcohol across some million number of bodies is a pretty easy way to uh, prevent drunkenness. But as soon as they, 
grandkids are mentioned, Abu starts asking all sorts of questions about dwarven families. What is the familial structure? How many grandkids? How many kids? Is this normal? It's, it's all about figuring out how dwarves function. Is it, yeah. So they are interested in answering the questions in the specific, but not in the general. So like, how many grandkids do you have? They're happy to answer that in detail with names and descriptions of each one. How many grandkids do dwarves have in general? Is your family a normal family? What would you describe as the dwarven familial structure? Those are questions that weird them out a little. How many dwarves to a clutch? <laughs> so do you lay eggs or carve your children out of stone? <laughs> do you take the hint or do you just stay yourself? Who has no sense motive. Amu doesn't actually read people. <laughs> oh, man. So for Veggy and uh, and Skritik, you can see, I mean, especially Skritik. Oh, boy. Skritik, we're about to get to you. So let's focus on your perspective. <laughs> Veggy is leaning over these guys. She towers over them. Um, and she's hugging two of them at a time. She rotates which two she's tugging. Uh, uh, and she... Uh, He's like saying, you guys are the best. You guys are like, I love you. We're family. And then um, Amu, a little bit holding it together alcohol-wise, but then not so much social-wise, is interrogating them each in turn about how dwarven like familial structures work. And they're just trying to talk to him about their grandkids, and it's not going fantastic. So, Skritik, what do you do? <laughs> I'd probably uh, slide over to Amu. It's like, hey, hey, buddy. Uh, maybe we need to step outside, get a little vacuum, you know, uh, cool off a bit, give these guys a little bit of space. Okay. Why? Eh, I think uh, they just, they just uh, want to get to drinking more. Okay, whatever you say, friend. And, and I just kind of lead him off to find some place to sober up a bit and not cause too many issues. Nice. So, um, meanwhile, back at the ship, Squeebo is bored. <laughs> Does no. anyone try to keep him occupied? I guess I'll try to definitely keep him away from any crews that are working on the ship. Basically, what Hecubina wants to do is now that he finally has some actual downtime, he's going to sit down and watch the tape for the race. So if he sees that Squeebo is causing problems, um, he will like just like purposefully, because I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of cleanup that has to happen on the ship. And we've Absolutely. done a lot of it. Yeah. So uh, if he sees Squeebo causing problems, he'll just like tip over a crate full of stuff and just be like, hey, Squeebo, can you clean this? Squeebo, clean. Yeah. So he'll just keep an eye on Squeebo while he uh, watches the footage of the Akaton race, writes notes uh, basically for everybody and for himself and makes notes about like the other. Um, the other teams, largely, you know, from the uh, drone's eye view that he didn't have during the race, see if he can notice anything else about what everybody else is doing. 
because, you know, he signed up to be a death racer. Why don't you give me a sense motive check there, Hagibino? Okay. 29. Yeah, that's really good. You can sense that uh, your and Vengi's departure from the uh, Team Rust Dragon really shook them up. And they're mm. still trying to reinvent themselves. They're trying to make this their breakout year, but they might be a little early. Yeah. I mean, teams have rebuilding years, and that's teams that don't get literally blown up. So I can I can see that. I would not be opposed to throwing them some kind of bone if I could, but it's hard to do within the context of a race where you're supposed to crush your opponents. You think you already know Talos. Um, like you think Talos is pretty much a level one deepness person. Yeah. Um, and he's got a very good handle on the rest of his team. So I don't see them like, obviously they're all very talented, but yeah. I don't see them going rogue the way basically that our team does where we basically operate as like just this barely contained group of psychopaths. And that's what makes us unpredictable. But like that, that's not how, uh, what was their team's name? Team Brainpower? Yep. That's not how Brainpower operates. Yeah, you actually noticed something. Um, you think that uh, he's probably charming um, Halcyon? And then you think he's doing something more significant uh, to the Troxelarian, uh, whose name I can't remember at the moment. Yeah, well, I know that he's, like, psychically keeping him from molting, so... Yeah, so he's got him well under under his mental thumb. Yeah, uh, Kex is the Solarian. That's right. Okay. Yeah, no, I that is not surprising. Basically, as, as long as he's known him, Talos is not shy about, like, throwing mind control around, so it's really not surprising that he's doing that to his team, and... I don't think is in any way illegal uh, as far as the uh, race rule. So not much. I don't think there's much that, you know, it's not like he can bring like a, some sort of uh, like paperwork consequence for him doing that. Some rules complaint. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it's against the rules to mind control your uh, your team. And let's hope not. It's Why that... do you say that, Rodrigo? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just saying when it comes down to action economy, one of these days I might have to like mind control someone for like five squares. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So um with that, you do uh manage to try to distract um Squeebo, and you notice that he is actually just an excellent, excellent industrial cleaner. Like when the uh, androids that are fixing the squeaky clean need, uh, you know, an industrial industrial strength solvent. Squeebo mm. is there, and so long as you like approach him the right way, he'll do it and he'll be happy. Yeah, so he's. Just uh, don't shoot him. I mean, to be fair, that applies to most of us. Um, don't shoot us. Yeah. yeah, if you as long as you don't shoot us, we can probably perform our jobs a lot better. No, that's good. Um, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm gonna guess that we're even throughout all this we're not running low on space suds. No, you're not. So I'm going to uh, give some to the androids and describe to them some of the properties that we've seen them have, which I'm sure they'd be able to, at the very least, uh, like weaponize in some way, right? Like use it as some sort of like 
um, blower grease to trip someone up or to, you know, have them sod up violently and get some like soft cover out of the deal. Nice. I like that. Cool. So uh, that's what Hecubino does. Um, so does anybody else have anything in particular that they wanted to do? Um, after, I mean, after recovering from the drinking contest, I do legitimately want to see if uh, the dwarves will show me some of the the sites and like, like, especially like local food and anything else that that would be fun. So unfortunately, the dwarves have to go back to their shift. Ah, fair enough. But um, if, even if they could just recommend some things. Well, one person who's willing to uh, show you guys around is Amsala. Oh, sure. She can, she's open by, uh, you know, the local comms. So um, she will uh, offer to show you guys around some of the sites of the diaspora. Does anyone want to take her up on it? Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, for sure. Yes. So it's Amu, Quentin, and Vanky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a funny team. All right. Sounds good. Uh, cool. So um, you quickly realize that she's a crazy person. And, uh, she, you're like, I never really cared about speed limits before, but now I do. Um, now that I don't have them, oh boy. Um, and you probably certainly care a lot more when you're in a very small, light, frail ship, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, so she, she will take you first on a little, she calls it a quick run. Um, past some incorporeal undead necroships that are evidently remnants of an Eoxian corpse fleet invasion, uh, which somehow you guys barely outgun and outrun. So what did each of you do when the Ghost Armada almost held, held you in their necrotic clutches? We'll start with Quentin. Quentin uh, manned the scanners to help uh, do the, you know, the back through there and maybe lead some of them into explosions and try not to die. Uh, Kept everybody up and running. Uh, Probably used some uh, meds to give people sharper uh, reflexes. (laughs) That's just meth, Rob. Oh boy, don't know me. Here, inhale this. <laughs> Bangy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, then I'm gonna like man the guns and I'll also be saying, like, this is the best tour that she has ever been on, ever. And this is so great and metal, and she's into it. And make sure Quentin, film this! Film this. I am filming. Nice. If you look out the left side of the ship, you'll see several people floating in the cold vacuum of space. Who are dead already. They're undead already. All right. So, uh, you guys nearly get caught in an infinitely recurring time loop where uh, these two twin planets are about to smash into each other and create the Diaspora asteroid belt in the first place. Do you guys somehow escape it? How? So, wait, we traveled in time? Well, reflexes. You're on the brink of an event horizon, like a time event horizon, where you're about to be sucked into a Groundhog Day black hole. I well, mean, clearly, can we do like a partial Groundhog Day black hole where we have to like be stuck in the same day over and over and over again until we eventually loop ourselves out? 
Right. We have to realize, first and foremost, we have to reverse the polarity of the neutron flow because that will always get you out of an inverted uh, triple dipper uh, Groundhog's Day loop. We probably went through it like 17 times. Yeah, we have to first realize that we were stuck in this loop by like, right. wait, familiar and like also have a day when we're stuck in the loop, but we also just like goof off because nothing has mm -hmm. consequences and just like spend right. the entire time like painting zombies and then shooting them. But only fiction. Yeah, little little bits. Uh, it's actually a secondary autonomic program in, in Quentin's mind that's actually been installed to remind us that we're going through the time loop and eating donuts. And then, then and only then, can we break free by, as I said, uh, reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. Amu, how do you help them break free? I mean, oh Amu's go-to for problem solving is drugs. Right. So, uh, how about is those the drugs? Like, it's like basically LSD, where we realize that we're unstuck in time, and time is an illusion, and that all of this is just a subject of our will to begin with. Thank and part enough that you send a message back to Thank yourself you. through time. Yes, exactly. Like, interstellar. Uh, like only through your dreams and how you deal cards when you're playing cards with each other and things like that. Like you can, you have to pass a message forward to your future self and be like, something isn't right here. Our, our future children leave us something in a bookcase and like realize that there's a connection to us across the solar system. <laughs> All right. So that's how you get free of the infinitely recurring time loop. And then, and then... Last but not least, you visit an asteroid that is covered in the fossilized remains of a nematode society. Think foot-long parasitic worms that are, like, Ooh. culturally advanced. Um, after that, one of you, let's say, one, two, three, four, five, six. Vangi, Vangi, you are convinced you've had a prophetic vision. Oh, boy. It doesn't have to be true, but you're convinced it's true. Describe that vision, please. Oh, man. That's a really good one. Um, so I... Putting me on the spot, man. Putting me on the spot. All right. So I am convinced that um, once we win Drifters, which we will obviously win Drifters, that I have to go on a pilgrimage to um, what's the um, uh, give me give me a planet, Kevin? Like a, like a fort? Huh? Versus. Versus. What is that? Like Venus? Yeah. All right, yeah. So I have to go to on a pilgrimage to Verses and like spend like a month in like the jungles of Verses uh, to like further in increase my like vision powers. In which case, I will like have some cosmic great understanding that will put me better in touch with the world and time because I just only touched on the fact that time is the illusion from our, our recent uh, expedition and then when that is done I will have discovered some fundamental truth about the universe that will be uh, change drift travel forever and make me incredibly famous <laughs> Awesome. We're actually going to change that from Verses to Castrovel. Castrovel is more equivalent to Venus, and it's a uh, warm, like jungle planet. So it's a it's a perfect place for that. Fantastic. Um, I need to go to like a sweat lodge and like lick frogs, and then it'll be perfect. Right. 
Then you need to get into character and start playing Vanky. <laughs> well said, Matthew. That's what we're here for. All right. So after that, she's like, hey, yeah, it was it, it was quite pleasant taking you around uh, the diaspora. This is what life is like here. Um, you should consider moving here after your career. Yes. Yes, I should. <laughs> this has been the best few days of my life. Um, so, Amu, yes. uh, back at the ship, um, when you're let off at some point, uh, Herman Hyde. He does not seem to like all the activity and all the strangers and all the repairs. And he just seems to want to be left alone and conceal himself beside the uh, construction crates and all that stuff. Uh, what do you do, um, if anything, with Herman? We think the best thing is to let him be. Uh, the extra activity is clearly causing him distress, and we don't want to uh, distress the crate fiend. That seems like a recipe for disaster. So we will make sure people are aware he is there and let him do his thing. All right. Uh, why don't you give me, oh, let's say a life science check. Okay. 28? Yeah, 28 is excellent. You know how crate fiends respond. You need to kind of be sure that they have a safe place to go. That Herman doesn't feel like cornered because if Herman, Herman feels cornered, that's when he's going to start to get violent. Um, so, so long as he has like little safe retreats that no one bothers him at, he'll be fine. So we'll set up little, uh, people free zones, crab safety zones. Uh, we'll come up with a better name for him. We won't. How about unshellfish areas? Boo. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, a hermitage. Oh. <laughs> Does anybody else have anything else that they want to do during the montage? Train gremlins. Yeah, so what are you training them for? Riding a whistle. Yeah, you can turn them into the dancing Warner Brothers frog. <laughs> uh, like I, I actually would want to spend some time figuring out a good way to weaponize them. Like, basically figuring out how we can like load them onto a launcher and shoot them at other vehicles. Give me a mysticism check. And then okay. any uh, anyone who's working on this can also give me a sense motive check. Sense motive check? Yeah. Ooh, nice sure. mystery. There. Yeah, the old three zero is pretty good. I'm a sense motive is a 14. Skritic helps out with a pretty excellent sense motive. Okay, so um, Hecubino, from a from a mystical standpoint, uh, these things are fey, and therefore they kind of obey weird rules. Like mm -hmm. they, they obey the rules of chaos. Um, meaning, you know, like which you can kind of decipher for these particular gremlins uh, that they're like bound to destroy things. Um, so the good news about that is that makes them easy to to weaponize against somebody else. But uh, the hard part is them not like destroying everything in the meantime, like right. keeping them captive is actually a pain in the butt. Right. Skritic, you're, you're good at figuring this out. Um, you realize that these are, you know, kind of frankly, simple minded creatures. Um, they're almost forces of nature in the way that they work, as opposed to fully formed individuals. 
Um, so it's and they're they're like basic forces at that. They're not super complex. So they're relatively easy to manipulate. Um, so long as you keep giving them whatever it is that they want, which seems to be to destroy things. <laughs> yeah, so I basically point that out to the guys and mm. I'll uh I'll ask the androids if they have anything uh, mechanical that they need disposed of, like old motherboards that they can't use because it, you know, too because they're too new or because they're fragged or for whatever reason, and try to like basically work up a stash and like a feeding schedule. Nice. Where we just like keep them in some sort of tube or whatever where we can just like slide something in and they'll like rip it up. And give them a you know few hours and then slide something else in. A business idea occurs to Hacubino during this process of uh, getting gremlins to like break down electronic components into their constituent parts as part of the recycling process. Well, definitely, I'll I'll talk to them about like like if they have any drives that have sensible or, or sensitive uh, information that they want destroyed. This is probably the best way to do that. Like wiping the drives could could leave information, just breaking it apart could, you know, people could still piece it together. But if you hand it to a gremlin, it's probably going to get pretty well disintegrated. Excellent. Uh, So, yeah, you guys can. the, The trick to weaponizing them is really keeping them happy long enough such that um, you can maximize their very limited patience to be able to send them off to do something for you. I'll also try to figure out break stuff to be clear. Definitely try to figure out if there's like a um, sugar or tryptophan equivalent to the stuff that they like to eat and or break so that we need to, if we need to keep them under control for longer, we can just like, I don't know, give them, give them like a full drive, like hard drive full of Cheetos. Yeah, and the thing is, they seem to work in about 12-hour cycles, so um, after 12 hours of binging, they pass out. Okay, so I'll uh, I'll put Amu in charge of it, but I'll work up a, like a rotation schedule for people to take care of the gremlins, and it'll be something where probably pretty much Amu and me are going to be doing it, um, but, you know, it'll have, like, a schedule so that, you know, if... Uh, Hegubino needs to do something else on a given day or whatever, like somebody else can sub in. All right. Sounds good. So um, is there anything else that people want to do during the little montage? Fixing the ship. Um, I will also try and actually put together some notes for everyone um, and uh, send them. Basically, take my notes, clean them up and send uh, stuff to everyone. Do you have any notes that you would want to convey in character? Uh, sure. Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, Hecubina is very positive about it. So he's not like, you know, nice job, dunces or anything like that. Um, unless it's like very clear that he's kidding. Um, but uh, main things is let everybody do the job that they're good at. Um, that's, you know, it's like bangy nose, like Hecubino, like they're not gonna like probably not going to get in a fight over this, but during that race, like, Vangie, like, jumped in and took the wheel, and it's just like, just kind of let Bob do his thing. 
um, he'll get us there kind of stuff. Um, I'll also uh, say, uh, Bob, you can't be afraid of putting that exocortex to use. That's, uh, according to these guys, that's one of the things that makes you special. So definitely think about that. And um, I will uh, add that uh, for Quentin, since uh, basically through the race and since then, he's like really acted much more like a teammate than like, uh, you know, a, a, an attache from the company. I'll probably give him like more stuff to do and tell him that he's, you know, basically allowed to improvise during a race as much as he needs to. And those are kind of the main ones, along with like some minor, like, you know, we need to like coordinate when we know that, you know, there's like weapon hologram runny over thingies in play, um, figure out quickly what we want to do and, and work out a strategy and stuff like that. But those are the main ones, which is also kind of a slight thing of me to be like, uh, Everybody use your class features. <laughs> don't, uh, don't, for, don't forget your class features. Play optimally, y'all. Yeah. But so I'm so bad at that. We know. Well, Shut that's... <laughs> well, that's, that's okay. Um, you know, I don't know how... Uh, how Kevin specifically would want to handle that. But you can, you can certainly always ask him. Like, I don't know what all you've gotten or picked or whatever because everybody gets options as they level up so i'm just like it's just a like in character and also out of character reminder don't forget to use your class features <laughs> like i forgot one of my class features during the uh the the great gremlin escapade um so that that was healing for other people that i left on the table because i was so concerned about my spell slots that i forgot that i actually just get like to heal for like so many hit points a pop per day. Yeah, so, so Starfinder is pretty good about like limiting the number of abilities you get. Yeah. But it's still got a lot, so it's still hard to keep track of. So sure. I'm happy to go over that with anybody, you know, either between games or during game. If I can remember something, I'll certainly try to remind you. As DM, as a lot of people know, it's a little hard to keep track of, you know, six people's character sheets plus whatever else is going on. Yeah, and definitely, I would say um, Envoy, uh, whatever the tech one is, and uh, and uh, the sneaky one. Um, operative. Yeah, operative those, and biohacker. Those, yeah, operative, yeah. So those three are definitely, like, very, like, skill-heavy classes and have, you know, class features that care about that sort of thing a lot. So it's it's worth it to like now that we've run a race, it's worth it to think about like what were the skills that we were using? Do we have something that buffs or cares about those skills? Not that it matters because any given race is probably going to be its own kind of right Hell. group of like weird tasks. But yeah. So after that, um, you know, somewhat instructive, somewhat constructive, somewhat uh, upbeat, Hecubino team meeting. Uh, does anyone else have anything that they want to do? Uh, mainly Bob is just working with Grace to ensure that the repairs are going smoothly and doing all the checks that need to be done and passing on that information. Uh, Bob has also changed out his uh, blue jumpsuit to a uh, military green jumpsuit with a beret and uh, reflective sunglasses. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. 
to the front. Uh, the one thing I just want to do is make sure to clean up my room, considering it got trashed by gremlins. Sure. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Uh, yeah, I think also, are there any native wildlife uh, on this asteroid? No. There's a horrifying uh, water asteroid that's full of sea monsters. It's true. There is, actually. And specifically, they were in the market for like aquatic scientists until their research station stopped responding to all signals. Would you like to check that out? Sure. Say no. <laughs> Bad idea. We're not doing like, the sphere tonight. Come on. Amu, Come Amu on. just gets to play Subnautica by himself for like six <laughs> hours. Yes. Oh, uh, look at that. Amu's out of time. Amu signed up for a lot of the extracurriculars, so he runs out of time. <laughs> yeah. Shame. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> All right. So finally, the ship appears ready to go. Through montage magic, you are all assembled in the docking bay where the squeaky clean was being fixed. Uh, Zoe approaches the lot of you. So we've almost got everything all set. Uh, the only thing we haven't fixed yet is the long-range comms array. They're a bit fiddly and time-consuming, but I thought you may want to just head out immediately. Besides, Bob can probably fix that uh, by himself, given some time now that he has the parts. Yeah, definitely. And you don't need that to run a race, right? You might need nope. it to know where the race is. Well, we already have the coordinates of where we're meeting rain, so should be okay. Is that, does that, is that something that we need to be outside of the ship to do? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, that sounds fine. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your help. Can you tell us uh, or remind us what the nature of our agreement was with them? We're supposed to, like, hack into somebody's Yeah, PC? hack into the main man's uh, computer. At uh, Eon Souljet, right? Yeah. Eon Wait, Souljet. Wait, we're, <laughs> we're hacking a space Lobo? bounty hunter? Yeah, exactly. No, someone seemingly very different. Uh, the CEO and arch director of Avatar Credit Systems, uh, called Credit Sys, uh, and um, also just a a very famous person uh, who hosts his own Infosphere show, The Axiom of Abundance. I hate him already. Right? Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's like a prosperity gospel dude. Yep, yep. Your words, not mine. Which is probably also something he says very frequently. <laughs> so, um, you guys uh, have the squeak clean totally fixed. You have the coordinates that Rain had previously given you. Uh, you don't have long-range comms. Uh, what do you do? Fix the long-range comms. Yeah, we'll probably start to get going and then fix them along the way if we can. Yeah, Bob can fix this. Sure. After a quick glance, you're pretty sure Zoe's right that the long-range comms are going to take longer than the trip is. Mm, that's not good. You're going to basically arrive without long-range comms. You'll still have short-range like you have now. Well, here's hoping yeah. there's no surprises waiting for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we've had a surprise every, like, ten minutes, so surely the universe has surprised it out. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. But uh, yes, uh, Bob can uh, enlist Quentin and Skritic and uh, work as fast as we can while also autopiloting the ship to get to Rain's location. All right. 
Excellent. So um, you arrive at the coordinates rain, rain uh, transmitted at the edge of the Pack World's solar system. Uh, you are all psyched. You've all got Hecubino's advice going through your mind, and you're ready for the next race. It's been a little while since the previous one. You're thinking about what you did well, what you can do better, um, and you're mostly just excited to be on another episode of Drifters. You see the beginning of the racetrack. Evidently, it uses uh, multicolored space beacons that beam light to one another as the guardrails, like the definition of where the track ends. Uh, there are vast assembled crowds that are all huddled within these transport vessels of all different shapes and sizes that are all like watching the, the area. Um, what you don't see when you arrive is the competition. Oh, crud. Then suddenly, basically as soon as critic says that they all appear and you realize the track is actually some kind of vast cul-de-sac with the starting line also being the finish line. Two ships fly through the banner beam, and according to the broadcast you can now receive on your short-range comms, a third ship has already been removed from the race by being knocked off track. Uh, of the four ships that were listed participants, first place goes to Team Yes We Have Name, second to Team Brainpower, and the last place of the finishers is therefore Team Lizard Brain. Drifters is single elimination, so that means your journey on the show ends here. And with the end of the show within a show, so too ends Drifters. I really hope you guys enjoyed the game. I loved running. Uh, you are all so welcoming. It was a great experience. So uh, just let me know if you want to run a game again. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously kidding. Uh, there's plenty more to go. No, no, no. There's plenty more to go. But your characters don't know that. Uh, your characters are all standing slack-jawed or whatever Amu uses to eat open, uh, staring at these enormous hollow screens, showing their likenesses, highlighted in a light red color that indicates elimination by placement. Uh, how will you guys react to this stunning turn of events? Well, I guess you'll have to turn in next time to find out. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out. What's going to happen? Oh, I have an idea, but maybe you do too. Why don't you head over to our Discord server, hang out with all the other cool kids, chat them up. A lot of great discussions going on, whether it's RPGs that people are talking about, video games, sports ball, uh, reading lists, comic books, and a whole lot more. Go check out the Discord server. There is a link in the show notes. And until next time, here's hoping all of your dice rolls are critical hits. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.